Good evening, morning, or whatever time of day it is you're listening to this, and welcome to a very special edition of the Talking Thomas podcast, your podcast for all things Thomas and Friends, Shining Time Station, and everything in between. And in this case, when we say everything in between, we mean literally in between, because today, uh, on this very appropriate day, we are doing a commentary of the film Thomas and the Magic Railroad. I am Tony. And I'm Orion. And so today is the 20th anniversary of Thomas and the Magic Railroad. Thomas's one uh, big theatrical film. I know that some of the specials have been released theatrically, but this one was the first one that was made and truly meant to be seen in a theater. And I know I saw it in the theater. I, I, you saw it in theater, is that right, Orion? Absolutely, yes. I uh, yes, vivid memories of, of seeing it in the theater um, and uh, dancing at the end in front of the <laughs> seats to uh, the locomotion at the ferry. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, I I have vivid memories of seeing it in the theater as well. And you know, Magic Railroad, of course, is a monumental, really a monumental achievement for. Uh, the Thomas world, as I said, it was the first feature film and Bert Alcroft had been working on this since at least the, er, at least the mid nineties, possibly earlier. I mean, I know that there are a couple of scripts that are dated the, in the mid nineties uh, for at, at the time it was known as uh, Thomas and the rainbow railway, or it went through a few different name changes. Um, originally there were thoughts about it potentially being a shining time station film. And then it was decided, no, it should, Thomas film, but have Shining Time Station influences, and uh, for better or worse, it became sort of a crossover film, and uh, then it went through several other modifications, and then it was almost ready, but then it wasn't and had to be completely re-edited, and then finally in July of 2000, it came out, Thomas made his big screen debut in Thomas and the Magic Railroad, and we are here today to give you a commentary of the whole thing. So uh, whatever form you want to watch that on, um, bring it on up, uh, pull it up, get set, and uh, let's, uh, let's dive into this thing, and you can press play now. So... Now, right from the start here, um, I think uh, Tony and I both wanted to establish that we're not going to really spend a whole lot of time of the commentary discussing the um, the director's cut or no. any of the the real cuts. We might mention it here and there, but that's you know that kind of thing is kind of been done to death at this point, um, especially um, in the past couple years as more and more stuff comes out. Um, and right. Of course, the uh, the whole director's cut debacle earlier this year. Um, so you know, we're really just talking about the film as it exists, the film as a as a movie um, and and in its um, released form uh, right. as it was released back in 2000. Um, so people... we'll we'll touch on a few little things here and there. Right. But that's not going to be the main topic of discussion. Exactly. P- p- people far, uh, far more knowledgeable about it than I than us have already spoken about it at length. And so. As Orion said, we might drop a few um, thoughts on it here and there, but it's really going to be more a overall commentary of the film. And right from the beginning, I love one of the things that really stands out to me about this. 
is the music. And they got Hummy Man to compose the music for Magic Railroad. And I really, it's one of the best parts of the movie for me is this music that he does. Oh, I have to agree. I, I would say it is, I, I would say it is the best element of the finished movie um, is without a doubt um, the, the, uh, the music. I mean, I just absolutely adore it. It's awesome. Um, and, um, you know, and Hummy Man just did a great job and introducing new themes, but then also adapting some themes from the TV series as well. Um, but it, it starts off with a wonderful theme and I'm a sucker always for great title sequences. And that's an awesome title sequence as well. Um, with all the gold dust, uh, you know, filling the air as the names appear on the screen. Right. It is. And, you know, just the fact that they got Alec Baldwin and Peter Fonda and Mara Wilson to to do a film like this, it's fantastic. I mean, you know, Peter Fonda, a very accomplished actor. Um, and, you know, Alec Baldwin is a pretty good actor as well. Mara Wilson as well, a child actress at the time, of course. And it's it's just really fascinating to watch this. Even 20 years later, I'm fascinated by this movie. Absolutely. So, and um, the film starts out, you know, with a bang, obviously, with Diesel 10 right here. So they really jump mm-hmm. into it right away. Um, and I always love Gordon rattling there. Yeah. Um, and an interesting precursor of, of what we would see later with the engines bouncing in the CGI series. Um, but, uh, and really the, the other great element, I think, of the movie, um, in addition to the score, really is the production design overall and the model work, um, the right. camera work. It's just, it, if only the series looked like this, um, <laughs> the Sodor series, mm-hmm. I should say. Um, if only yes. it looked like that, it would have just been awesome. Um, unfortunately, it didn't, but um, but just awesome um, production design, awesome model work, and just you know the beautiful brass models that they did for the movie, as well as um, you know obviously higher quality lighting and better sets, and uh, makes a real difference in terms of his transition onto the big screen. And then I know that there were critics who complained that they didn't um, update the animation style for the film. And perhaps um, for someone who it certainly, I don't think that this movie would have ever succeeded in converting anyone who didn't like Thomas into a Thomas fan. No, but it certainly did its job in terms of pleasing the children who liked Thomas, perhaps, although he's barely in this. So, um, (laughs) (laughs) um, uh, you know, if they were expecting a movie that's mostly Thomas related, it's hard. But again, it's it's almost impossible with any children's character, with any TV character in general, because the stakes are usually so small in a TV series for each episode. Right. And especially for Thomas, when the episodes are only four and a half minutes long, to try to expand that to an hour and 20 minutes and make it actually worthwhile, you have to introduce something else. Now, was this necessarily exactly. the best idea to introduce something else, the whole Shining Time Station subplot, or really the main plot, the Sodor stuff is the subplot. Um, right. Was that necessarily the best? Perhaps. No, but the, but it's, I can't entirely fault the movie. No. Um, and, you know, I, I, I love this movie for a number of reasons. I mean, you know, mo- a lot of it's nostalgia because, you know, I, I did really enjoy this movie as a child and, and to a point I still do, I guess. Uh, but, 
one of my great loves, as I'm sure I as I'm sure I have and will continue to expound upon throughout the run of this podcast, is Shining Time Station. It was a very it was my favorite show growing up, and so I've got a lot of love for it. And that's uh, because Shining Time Station was so much a part of this movie. I think that's a big part of why I love it, even though it's quite different to uh, what we see in the TV series. Absolutely, and. Um... This scene here, um, once again, kind of uh, showcases one of the other great elements of the film um, would be the voice acting. Um, right. Love the voice acting. I mean, really, I, I would say those are the three best elements of the film. Um, the score, the production design, and the voice acting. Um, all great. Right. Um, the rest of the film, the plot, obviously, is, um, you know, it's just absolutely it's ridiculously convoluted for no reason. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, and the human acting leaves quite a bit to be desired, as we can see here with uh, Cody McBain's. <laughs> no disrespect intended, but uh, not his finest no. uh, work, although he, he isn't a, a huge actor, really. But um, no. but not, not, not his uh, finest hour here. I, I do like all of the little nods to... Uh, the Shining Time Station series in that the sign that Patch was painting says population 5,006, give or take. <laughs> so, uh, which of course uh, is seen throughout the entire run in at least uh, after they converted the season one titles to the standard titles. It's You can see that sign in every episode of Shining Time Station during the opening credits from season two onwards. Yes, absolutely. Um, and um, uh and it's great. I mean, the, and the location filming, even though some of it doesn't really make any sense in terms, you know, geographically, some of it doesn't quite add up. Um, right. Uh, you know, obviously combining the Strasbourg Railroad with, uh, um, you know, with the Isle of Man doesn't quite <laughs> uh, fit considering <laughs> Strasbourg is in uh, you know, cent- central, or I mean, I guess some people might call it eastern Pennsylvania. Um, and that's closer to my neck of the woods, of course. Um, uh, for those who don't it know, I'm, I live in the Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania area, which is uh, in western Pennsylvania. But I've been to the Strasburg Railroad uh, quite a few times, um, and it's you know, and it's a lovely place, and uh, it's really cool uh, to be you know to have been on probably some of the coaches that they filmed on, um, and to see you know, the locomotive that they use. So it's, it's great, but, um, and I'd love to go to the Isle of Man sometime too. Um, and that oh, was, of course, too. Castletown railway station there. Um, now the, you know, this is of course a completely different looking shining time station than what we received in the TV series. It is. Um, but I think it works and they, they maintain the mural aspect of it. Um, and it's charming. It's a really cute little charming station and you can't fault this movie for, uh, for certainly being uh, colorful, because uh, it's definitely colorful. Oh, no, it's very colorful. Um, but uh, you know, that's a that's a great element of the movie. I think is just its use of color, and again, the, the overall production design. It looks great. It's a very nice film to look at um, oh, if you just you know maybe just turn the dialogue off. <laughs> now, the the thing about the Shining Time, the Shining Time Station that we see here, I've, I have a couple of thoughts because. One, I'm glad they got Dee Dee Khan to play Stacy because, as we've mentioned many times, Stacy was really the heart of Shining Time Station. And so uh, Dee Dee Khan portrays her beautifully, and I'm glad they got her back. But what really threw me when I first saw this movie, and it's still to a lesser extent 
continue to throw me a little bit is that Billy Two Feathers is played by Russell Means. Now, obviously, Tom Jackson was not a huge actor, but, you know, surely, I don't know if there was like an issue with availability or what it was, or I don't know if they even tried to get Tom Jackson, honestly, but it just kind of threw me that I, I could tell even from an early age, that's not Billy. I mean, it is Billy, obviously, within the story, but it's not the Billy that I was familiar with. And so that's that's one of the few parts about the Shining Time Station part uh, parts of this film that I was a little thrown by is that Billy didn't really feel like Billy to me. Now, contrastly, there was a quick shot and it's a blink and you'll miss it shot of two older women who, even though they're not played by Barbara Hamilton and Boba Lewis, uh, one of whom had passed on by this point. In fact, I think both of them might have had by 2000. I, for some reason, always assumed that these two ladies were Midge Smoot and Ginny the Farmer. So, yeah, interesting. Uh, take that for what yeah, it's yeah, interesting fan theory, I would say. Take that for what it's worth. But um, I, I don't think Russell Means did a bad job by any stretch. But I just, you know, when I was a kid, especially now, obviously, you know, I'm older and I'm used to it, of course. But just when I was younger, I had a hard time reconciling him as Billy when so many of the episodes I've seen of Shining Time Station, and you have to remember, I didn't grow up with season one until I was in my early teens. So I still hadn't seen Harry Cupper much at all uh, by the time Magic Railroad came out. And so I was so used to Billy being in Shining Time Station that he just looked so different. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. So. Um, Yeah, so... And, uh, of course, we, we just had a scene between um, Burnett and Patch. Um, and yes. uh, I would say that was the first kind of bubble-bursting moment as, uh, you know, when I watched <laughs> this more and more as a child. Like, I, that was the first thing that I realized wasn't quite good about this movie was Peter Fonda's acting uh, in this. He just <laughs> is taking it far too seriously. Um and uh right yeah and people much cleverer than us um have have made many jokes about that so i won't uh necessarily dwell on that too much but it is uh that was the that was really the only element as a child that i really didn't understand that i could understand why people wouldn't like the rest i didn't understand why people didn't like until i grew older and then i realized but right um i do love here that uh you know that he's humming whistling uh the tom's the tank engine theme uh that's a nice oh, yes. little touch um and actually i, I wonder if that was an improv um by alec baldwin i'm not sure if that's in the in the screenplay or not but i i would have to think that it almost might be uh because you know by this time of course alec baldwin was the narrator of of thomas the tank engine now i say that i had issues with russell means as billy I had no issue with Alec Baldwin, even though he's not the person I recognize as Mr. Conductor more often than not. You know, it made sense to me because, okay, he tells Thomas stories. This must be a new Mr. Conductor. Right. This, even as this would have been such a weird movie with George Carlin if it had been made earlier, you know, in the, in the 90s. It would have been bizarre. Um, but uh, um, but I, I, I know people make fun of Alec Baldwin's performance in this. I actually don't really have a problem with it. I mean, it's not, no. it's not necessarily, I mean, it's not supposed to be 
super well acted. He is he's giving it his all, but in the right direction. Whereas Peter Fonda is oh, yes. giving it his all in a completely misguided direction. I don't even know what he's doing. <laughs> but um, my, my my thoughts on Peter Fonda. Peter Fonda is playing it as if it's Yuli's goal, yeah. <laughs> whereas whereas Alec Baldwin is playing it for what it is. It's a Thomas the Tank Engine movie. And he's playing it as a Thomas the Tank Engine movie. Absolutely. And he's and he's clearly having a fun time with it. I know he doesn't talk about oh, Thomas very much, but he really obviously was having a great time with this. Um, oh, and yeah. uh, But I, I totally agree. Uh, the real coup of this movie is that is that they, you know, they got Didi Khan to come back because um, she yes. just is that one kind of thread that really connects this to, uh, you know, that connects this to Shining Time. So, um, and and you're right. I mean, as we said, she really is the heart of Shining Time Station, and it's great uh, to have her in this. She doesn't have very many scenes in the film, but when she does have a scene, it's it's used the creep. Oh, absolutely. And honestly, this movie is, you know, and I'm a, I'm a huge film buff. Um, yes. And, uh, you know, I love, and especially film scores, I love to listen to film scores. And this really is one of my favorite film scores. And, you know, not just as a Thomas fan. I mean, I, I always tell people, even if you don't like Thomas, even if you don't like Thomas and the Magic Railroad, listen to the score. It is actually a oh, very good yeah. score. And the vast brilliant. majority of the movie is actually scored as well, which is kind of odd for a children's film like this with an orchestral score. Um, right. And, but it, it's a great, you know, it's a great score. And then we get uh, the now infamous line, sparkle, sparkle, sparkle. Um, <laughs> but uh, a, har- a oh, harmless yes. line when originally said. But... Yes, but it has uh, become something of a meme in the last uh, decade or so. Absolutely. Um it does always strike me as odd that we never really see his gold dust working well <laughs> at first. I mean, a little bit around Shining Time, but we never see it working well I was gonna to say, get to Sodor. I was going to say, the, the only time that we see his gold dust working well in this film is at the very beginning when he vanishes in and out of the flower pot after, you know, he, he, he appears in a flower pot. He lifts the flower pot up with his magic so a lady doesn't hit her head because she's not watching where she's going. And then he disappears out of the flower pot. And that's the one time that we see his sparkle working well. Right. And I do like that old McDiesel had a farm. Very clever. Yes. Uh, and I mean, you know, again, voice acting for uh, Diesel 10 and especially uh, I love Eddie Glenn's voice for Thomas. Yes. There's um, something so charming about it. Um and uh, I think it, he did a great job working on that. Oh, yeah. Definitely. And now we meet the <laughs> third main character of our, well, technically, I suppose, Mr. Conductor, Burnett, and Thomas are the three. Here's our fourth main character, Lily Stone, played by... A Mara Wilson who is clearly too old for this. Uh, 100% too old. Um, and this, when I was a kid, this scene always just struck me as odd. It's so weird. It doesn't feel, it doesn't fit in with the rest of the movie because it just, it looks so, I guess my problem with it is that this scene looks so modern. It looks, 
it does. It's in a modern city with rain and people walking around. Um, is this in Toronto? I think it looks. I believe it, so. Do, yes. I mean, it doesn't look like America, so I'm pretty sure it's. It, it it probably is. Yes. Um and um, but I'm know. sure we'll be corrected on Twitter. But yes. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> um, and but the uh, the rain. You, just the rain and the the fact that it's in the city and it's gray, um, it just doesn't have that charming, otherworldly uh, color of the rest of the movie. Um, so it's always struck right. me as odd. And when I was a kid, I always just found it such a weird, very odd scene. And I guess that's the point is that it's trying to, you know, to juxtapo- juxtapose the beautiful and picturesque island of Sodor with its rolling hills and beautiful, colorful trees. And then, um, and shiny time, same thing. And then she lives in the big city. So it's, you know, gray and drab and she experiences the wonder of Sodor and the wonder of shiny time. But, uh, it just, if it's odd. It is. It is. I, I don't think it's necessarily bad per se. It's, it's just a very different kind of, scene and i don't know that there was ever really going to be a great way to make that scene fit because you know we have to get lily from the big city to shining times so you know i mean and we can't just start out at the station i mean i guess we could but it you know wouldn't we wouldn't have any context if we just started at uh the big station Mm -hmm. now we were just talking over uh one of my favorite lines from the movie uh when gordon says small 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 teeny weeny weeny uh just hilarious line reading um it is and again just the voice acting in this is great um Mm -hmm. the little engines can do big things is hammered home a little hard i think yes um but if you're gonna have a slogan if you're gonna have a slogan then you know at least you know make it worthwhile so and they do they get their mileage out of that line but um (laughs) <laughs> even in the merchandising i mean it was all over the merchandising for the movie so yes. um i had the uh the book little engines could do big things so as did i um but uh and nice that harold makes a cameo in this i love harold's cameo in this it's it's very short but i i, I don't recall who plays him but i really enjoy uh harold's one or two lines in this movie this might be one of my favorite scenes in the movie alec baldwin and yeah. Stephen hat's office Yes, it's a great so scene. clever, a great scene. Um, I love the Sir Topham Hat needs you uh, posters <laughs> yes. around Sodor. I think that's hilarious. Oh yes, um, and then of course in a in a minute he picks up the picture of Lady Hat, and that's just absolutely it, hilarious. It, especially with the fact that you know we have humans walking around. Uh, in fact, Mister Tenutter himself is human, so we do have an actual human on Sodor. And then, well, first of all, I love how the picture changes and reacts to <laughs> Mr. Conductor messing around with that top hat and stuff. And then when he picks up the picture, and it's the it's the resin model of Lady Hat, yeah, or I'm it's... sorry, wood, not resin. It was it's it's the it's the season five model, so it's the wood model. But I mean, really funny. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but we don't see any other humans on Sodor uh, besides Mr. Doctor so again it's an interesting thing no drivers no firemen no crew member nothing Um, and and this is really a a lot of people complain in later seasons that the drivers 
uh, seems to disappear. This is really where it starts because up until this, you know, there had been drivers and firemen regularly. This is the first occasion where the engines appear to be able to move by themselves. Right. But it wouldn't have worked. Um, it just wouldn't have worked to have that on the big screen. No. The, the, the engines themselves with the faces that don't move um, you know, or the mouths that don't move, that's one thing. And yes, it's yes. antiquated and it's, it barely passes for a big screen adaptation right. of the TV series. But to have the model people, the model people. that would have just been... It's, it's great as a absurd. gag. It's great as a gag with with Lady Hat. But can you but imagine? I mean, like you know, Percy and James much. puffing around Sodor in this with you know with their driver, um, a little wooden driver. It just that would have made it even more ridiculous. It would have even more ridiculous than this scene where he's talking to a <laughs> bouncing ball. Hey, like we said, Alec Baldwin gives it his all in the best ways. He does, and I I do. And again, I don't. I really don't know. I mean, it's funny to make fun of it, and I don't really have a problem with it. But at the same time, I think people are a little hard on him for this. I they do, are. I do think, yes. actually, he does a good job. But this is where he stopped giving it his all in terms of the Thomas world, because in season six, he just completely dropped the ball and decided that he didn't care anymore. So, Well, he, he was also going through a lot at the time of season six. And so, you know, part of that's forgivable, but part of it is, of course, is, you know, this is kind of your job, dude. Yeah, so. but I, I, I think that he was probably a little deflated by the massive, the embarrassing flop of Thomas yes. the Magic Railroad. But what's interesting is that in the same year, Sony um, also had another bomb with, uh, with The Adventures of Elmo and Grouchland. Um, right. And both were aimed at a preschool audience. And you mm-hmm. can't release a major film in theaters for a preschool audience because older work. kids won't go see it. They don't care. No. You can release one for families that you yeah, know, like some... Disney does it all the time. Exactly. But not for a preschool audience. It just doesn't work. So uh, they, they learned that lesson the hard way if for two movies, two major movies in yeah. 2000 um, and they never really did it again. So I think the last major movie to try to be released for preschool audiences was the Oogie Loves. Uh, right. quite a few years ago and that was a huge bomb too so I mean I don't think it'll ever happen again but this was a huge mistake um, and and I think you know Siskel and Ebert kind of summed it up that this had direct to video written all over it um, yes unfortunate because you know it's great to see it on the big screen and the production values of it in some ways are great um, but yes they are but there are elements of it of course that don't quite well, warrant a big screen adaptation but it is great to see. Oh, absolutely. And, and I, you know, the, the sheds being under repair for this, um, it's nice. There's something about scaffolding and on Sodor yes. that, that lends some sort of air of mystery, like in ghost train. And, um, right. Well, but... well, you know, we just did our season two reviews. We ended those uh, about a month or two ago. And, you know, the last, the back half of season two has the theme of the viaduct being under repair. And so it's, it's kind of coincidental that we just finished up that arc. And then we have this. Well, what's interesting is that both the sheds and the viaduct are under repair, or they're too busy fixing the shed so they can't fix the crumbling viaduct. Right. Um, apparently, but they never really yes. say why the sheds are being fixed. So. No, they don't. Um, now, this was one of my least favorite scenes, even as a kid. And maybe it's just because I have such an affinity for Shining Time Station itself. 
but this scene just really i mean i know it's supposed to be dark and stuff but it just it was kind of off-putting you know no i uh, yeah i agree the dream and the precursor to the dream even it just made me feel really uneasy even as a kid it does it i guess yeah (laughs) it's supposed to obviously but you know it i don't know but i i think it's because i do love shining time so much and it was such a big part of my childhood. It's just very sad. Oh, no, absolutely. You know, I don't think I ever noticed the actual, uh, the bag on the ground that says Shining Times. Right. Or some something above the Shining. I can't read it, but. Um... Right. I realized the way Howard Baldwin was I've got to find more gold dust. Yeah. Great line. It's never really specified where Lily comes from. No, this was filmed, I believe, in Harrisburg, um, right. Pennsylvania, which isn't, uh, which is only about, you know, I think it's less than an hour from Strasburg. So, um, you know, in that right. same region of Pennsylvania, which made sense. Mm-hmm. And again, all of this is scored. I mean, just the, you know, so much of the movie has a score underneath it, which is great. I love it. Right. This whole mutt thing is a little ridiculous, but I mean that she would follow a dog onto a train <laughs> to a somewhere. I mean, it's a little, it's a little convenient, um, but uh, well, simple, simpler also, times. <laughs> it's also a little convenient that when she gets off the stage, she meets an eighteen. Uh, she meets an eight, She meets a. She meets a woman who just happens to know her grandfather and is able to take her there. And trust this woman, <laughs> but you know it. It was it was a different time. True. I've always liked this song. I have to say, um, I you know, love this. Song. And they really it's... try. They really tried to make this movie fully rounded with with a great orchestral score. With yes. you know, and the original uh, you know, soundtrack has you know uh, three or four songs. Of course, in the in this, we only ever we only get three. Um, in terms of the right. actual movie, and then we get um, a fourth one on the credits, but we, we, we and, and we get hints of a fifth one, but we can you can only barely hear it, and I'll point it out when it comes up. Right, of course, but, and of course we're referring to the fact that they cut uh, "Some Things Never Leave You," which is a good song, and "Summer Sunday" um, from the right. film. So, um, right. but uh, but the only well ones to that, a point, right? And the the only ones that remained really in the movie completely intact are this and. Um, shiny time at the beginning there and really useful engine right now how the moon must feel of course is sung by dana manning and i love her voice i need to look up some of the uh some of her other stuff Uh, i'm a big music buff as i might have said before but i really enjoy her i really enjoy her voice and uh you know re-watching this has made me interested to hear some of her other music because i really enjoy um I, I, this, it's probably one of my favorite songs in this entire film. Oh, I, absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I, I like it a lot. And I, I like, I like, uh, I like Mr. Conductor itching James's nose. Yeah. I think that's, yeah. that's funny and clever. Um, of course, his scale is like all over the place in this movie. So, um, cause like right now he's as tall as James's buffers, but then, 
like earlier, he looked like as small as Thomas's wheels. So you know, right. I never really quite understand. But well, James is supposed to be bigger than Thomas, though. Remember? So well, right. But if he's bigger, then why would oh, that's point. what I'm saying? He's taller than he was earlier good in relation point. to James. Right. Oh, here's a great scene. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I mean, it's just. It's a fun movie. I mean, it's not a good movie, but it's a fun movie. <laughs> it is. Uh, but I do love, and again, the costume design. Love, love his costume. It's yeah. so colorful. Um, these sets are nice. It's nice that it's a, it, I have a feeling if it had been made, say, five years later, it would have been more along the lines of something like a Spy Kids or a Shark Boy and Lava Girl right. in that it would have been shot on an almost entirely... Uh, computer-generated set. Um, oh, it would have been all green screen, and that would have been disappointing. So I think yeah. it's a wonderful that this is that this was shot on a you know all on sets and sound stages and such. I mean, with of course some green screen stuff with him in the cab of uh, Thomas or um, you know, and of well, course yes. on the Magic Railroad. But but other than that, so much of it is is practical, um, real real sets. Well, yeah, I do love that Birdie goes around this movie going rum rum all the time. <laughs> um, I think that's clever and funny. It's it's cute. I do like this little meeting of the engines. It's nice, here, but, but it doesn't really make sense in terms of where they are because they're all like blocking. No, they're they're double parking each other here. <laughs> that's uh, true. It, it, I but... mean, it just again to kind of open it up, I guess, a little bit instead of just having every conversation at the sheds. They decided, well, we could have one here, we can have it there, right? Um, so I don't have a problem with it necessarily, but it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. I do love, um, uh, Colm Fjord's voice for Toby. Yes. Uh, it's a good, good choice. It is. <laughs> it's, it's the face he pulls when, um, <laughs> when the rabbit leaves the note. <laughs> I do like this little note. I think it's clever and funny. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is a very cute children's film. I mean, I don't really, it, it's, it's, I mean, it, we must be pretty cynical and pretty hor- horrible people to be, you know, two people in our mid to late twenties sitting here right. bashing a movie made for preschoolers, but oh, no. at the same I, time, I, I think, it's still really yes. fun. I, I think it gets a lot more flack than it deserves. And I, I am very guilty of giving it a lot of that flack because it's fun but oh yes <laughs> and this it, plain it, drain uh, i'll think yes. i'll try the celery <laughs> sausage bicycle and it's the hiccup as well yeah the hiccup's what makes it so <laughs> i just love that he said sausage bicycle <laughs> yes because yeah. that has something to do with the uh thing what's interesting is that <laughs> i whistle randomly even without like watching this for months or even years sometimes i yeah. will whistle little parts of the of the score it's just right. like just weird now we do hear a little bit of summer sunday here not much of it but some of it yeah and i i really like junior i think junior's a really fun character and michael e rogers does a great job playing him yes. um and i think this is so fun him sitting on the big beach chair and Right, and with again, a giant ice cream, uh, with a giant shake, or I, I don't know if it's a Sunday or a shake, but yeah, and again, yeah. it's all so colorful, and and again, they're they're real sets, and 
But it does yes. show that these conductors are so wasteful with their magical dust. Or, oh, it, yes. Or, you know, it's just ridiculous that they're sitting there. He's snoring it away, and, uh, and right. Mr. Conductor is too lazy to climb in Thomas's cab, so he stands there and then right. blows some gold dust so that he can hop up two inches. Um, just a little ridiculous. No. I do no, like the no. bluebells as the phone across Soda. Yes. I think that's a clever touch. Oh, it is. Um, I, I, I don't think that um, I. I think that neither Ringo nor George Carlin's Mister Conductor would be that irresponsible with their gold dust. Uh no, absolutely. Um, but Michael E. Rogers, Michael E. Rogers is another one, and I think this is part of the reason why I like both him and Alec Baldwin in this quite a bit. Michael E. Rogers is another one who plays it the right way. Like again, he knows that it's a kids' movie, and so he does give it his all most of the time, but uh, he doesn't overdo it either. No, absolutely, and there, and he has some really funny scenes. He's actually funny. I mean, there uh, there are other bits of comedy that aren't quite as funny, but his stuff is very funny. Um, oh yes, and I and I I do like the fact that there's you know the different types of you know telecommunication devices throughout. <laughs> uh, you know, the land of shining time and the beach and Sodor in terms of the bluebells and the conch. And, you know, it's just really clever. Right. I, I like that. My shell phone's not working properly. Nice. Very nice. <laughs> nice. And a nice play, of course, on cell phone. So, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I love that there's a dial tone, too. At the end, yes. when he hangs up, that's so clever. I always forget about that. Yes. And here we are back in Strasbourg. Oh, now we're at the other place. Now we're at uh, the Isle of Man. Uh, they sometimes do a good job cutting, but sometimes it's a little odd. <laughs> yes. I, I like how Lily never really gets an answer for, you know, when she says shining the time. What does that mean? She never really gets an answer for that. There was apparently supposed to be, Stacy was supposed to explain what it meant, and it's based off of an old quote um, from Britt Allcroft back when she was first pitching the idea of Shining the Time Station to, um, you know, various TV studios. Uh, but it's interesting that we never actually get that in the movie. Right. And I love this little piano ditty here. Um, yes. I, I love that little introduction. And then just this, the score uses so many little woodwinds um, that I like, like this, you know, I'm not sure which woodwind instrument it is. Sounds like a clarinet or something, but Probably. it's just, the score has so much bounce to it, but also dramatic it heft when it needs it as well. Oh, so yes. it's yeah, a great thing. Um, I don't think I've ever seen another movie that Hami Man scored. Um, but he does a great no. job with this one. He does. I love how he just leaves a pile of gold dust on the bench as well. Yeah, it's interesting because um, we haven't seen Alec Baldwin leave any uh, leave any gold dust anywhere anytime that he's doing it. So, so, so is Junior just really careless with his gold dust? Uh, or... Apparently. Yeah. He's always using too much and then uh, the excess just falls on the ground. Right. It does kind of make me laugh, though, that the worst horror 
for shiny time is a road. <laughs> you know, it's just kind of funny that you it know, is. And there's the first glimpse that we get of you know lady moving anyway. Right. Nice bit of foreshadowing there. Yeah, it's a little odd that Mr. Conductor can't yell ever so slightly louder. <laughs> he is majorly depressed right now. I know. <laughs> He's making me depressed trying to watch this. As I watch this now, I always think about what my parents must have thought when they took me to see this when I was four. I, I can't imagine. <laughs> I, I was nine when this came out, and I can't imagine what my parents thought either. They thought that it was an hour and 25 minutes. They'll never get back. <laughs> Lightly. But beautiful countryside here, you know, the Isle of Man, oh, yeah. of course, of course, it was chosen for um, its tax break purposes, um, but it worked well mm-hmm. as a um, as a filming location, just aesthetically, at least for a lot of it um, and specifically Muffle Mountain. And and uh, I love the two little tunnels that go into Muffle Mountain. And, uh, and like we said, we weren't going to talk that much about the director's cut. But of course, here um, is a little shot of, um, you know, of uh, uh, P.T. Bummer pulling away there. So. I mean the uh, the guy that uh, Burnett was giving directions to. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, yeah. No, um, of course that was PT Boomer. It's one of the very few shots of him that you'll ever find in the final film as it was released. So I think there might be one later in the chase shot, but uh, but yeah. And it's kind of unfortunate. This is really the last we see of Stacy. I mean, she might appear in a cameo at the very end when everything's restored. But as and if, forgive me if I'm wrong, it's been a long time since I've seen this film. Um, but I think this is one of the last scenes that Stacy has any dialogue in. I do believe so. so. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm. I'm pretty sure that's that's pretty much it. Yeah. Because we really don't get back to Shining Time now until the very end. I do like that sign, Shining Time, Muffa Mountain, Big City. <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's a <laughs> yes. cute little kind of you know just like you know uh, in Thomas and the Special Letter they don't say they're going to London but they say they're going to the big city far away. So right. I always think that's a nice little now moment there. Now this right here, we do hear something you ne- never leave you in the film, but you can only just barely hear. You have to actually really listen close, and it's one of those things where. If you don't actually know it's there, you can't hear it, really. Um, but originally, that was supposed to be part of a much bigger scene. And again, I know we're not talking about the director cut much at all. But it would have been nice to hear more of the song because much like I Know How the Moon Must Feel, I thought Something's Never Leave You was a great song. Uh, if you have the soundtrack, or even if you don't have the soundtrack, definitely give it a listen. No, I agree. Um, and this haunting whistle thing is um, is nice. Um, I think it's a it nice is. little element. It is. It's quite nice.
So here we have the mail train, of course. Um, yeah, and I like the engine's whistles in this movie, actually, as well, because, of course, they're different than in the TV series. Um, right. But they, and the sound of the engines moving, too, is different. Um, it's not the standard puffing noise that we were used to. It's a little bit, it sounds a bit more ballistic. Um, right. And I, I like that. They do, and that's another thing to the film's credit, they do actually try to make this feel real within, you know, a certain suspension of disbelief. True, yeah. And again, it's just something they had to kind of up the ante for a theatrical feature film. Yeah, I, I don't think the typical brake squeal noise that's been used since season two would have flown really well in the movie. Uh, no, probably not. Yeah, much much better. Yeah, sound effects. Yeah, and I think it's it's great that they get that Toby gets um, something to do in this movie too. Um, you know, and yes. of course Edward was was cut um, unfortunately, but uh, but it is nice right. that they do let Toby have his day. Oh yes. What do you make of Splatter and Dodge? Fun. Yeah. Um, I mean, I wasn't like obsessed with them as a as a child and i i mean full no. disclosure i have to say that i saw this movie as a child i owned it on vhs um uh, later owned it on dvd um but sure. i would say uh, of all of the thomas related media that i owned as a child i probably watched this least um okay. of anything um you know and I, I watched regular thomas episodes much more often than i ever watched this i'm just not really oh, yeah. my I, Probably just more of the time commitment necessarily to sit down and watch it. And probably just because some I just didn't like it as much. Um, I so I don't, you know, but I did have um, uh, quite a bit of the related um, merchandise, you know, the merchandise right. for the film. I did have, um, oh, well, let's see. I had Little Engines Can Do Big Things. I had right. Diesel 10 Means Trouble, both of those books. I had the Thomas and the Magic Railroad book, the hardcover mm book yes um i had the thomas and the magic railroad board game oh i remember that yeah um i also had the um muffle mountain wooden railway playset see i wanted that but i never got it um so that was not not the hundred piece set that they had but i did have the muffle mountain set um and i i do like this rendition of really useful engine it's one of my favorite songs from the classic series um and so i love that it's in the movie um and uh, and it's nice that they have Stephen Page from Bare Naked Ladies singing yes. um, with them. Yes. But uh, and it's a nice little montage because you can forget sometimes that the engines are even in this movie. So I was gonna say we're watching a Thomas. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what's interesting? No, I. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. No, I was gonna say I do like Stephen Page in this, and that's another. They have so many there are a lot of people that pop up in this that you wouldn't expect to pop up. I mean, of course we have Peter Fonda and Alec Baldwin, but you know, they're in all the promotional material, but then you did like little surprises, like, you know, Stephen page doing really useful engine. And I thought that as, as an adult, I'm a Barony good ladies fan myself. And it, it's, it's amusing to me. True. Yeah. Um, and I, I oh, do... that shouldn't happen. <laughs> I'm sorry. Go on. I do love that he says, um, it, it's cute as he's puffing back when he says, I'm collecting one, two, three, four, five, six, seven trucks. Um, or six trucks, whatever he says. Six trucks. Yeah. Um, 
that's what he just said. I, uh, but anyway, um, I do like this set as well with the bridge and the trees and the um, water tower. It's interesting that really they didn't really they created so many new sets for this film um, that we hadn't really seen they before. Did. And, and obviously newer versions of some sets that we had seen like Tim the sheds and uh, Natford, but, um, right. but a lot of the standard sets that we had seen in the five seasons preceding this, um, we didn't see. So right. um, we get a lot more uh, interesting locations. I mean, even the viaduct of course is specific to this film. So um <laughs> Now this, this is one of my favorite um, bits of dialogue from Diesel Ten. This is the oh, I see you forgot to bring the sugar. How careless of you! Yeah, I really like that for some reason. So, and really, it's this whole scene of Mister Conductor trying to escape from the the claw. So. Yeah, no, I, I think it's great. and I, I mean, I love the claw element of Diesel 10. That's probably the best idea that they had for him. Um, yeah. And I do, I mean, I like the crumbling viaduct idea. Um, again, I mean, the whole thing with the universe crumbling and everything, I mean, it's just way too heavy for A, a Thomas the Tank Engine movie, and B, <laughs> on a broader scale, for a film for preschoolers. Um, you know, right. It just is way too, you know, philosophical you it know, is. to try to do that but it is what it is i did all, i always liked to see when i was a kid him cutting the hose there was something so satisfying about him watching him cut the hose um that, and then him that attempt at grabbing the uh, scissors was fun yes uh no no subliminal message there of course not <laughs> i have no idea what you mean Apparently, we left that flower there. I don't recall leaving any sacks of flour by a windmill, but <laughs> apparently we did. Yeah, this is... Uh... And here's where the plot continues to get even more convoluted. Yes. The secret code. Just bizarre the I, do like that sound. I do like, like that sound of the you yes. know of doing that but but it's the secret code that only lasts for 10 seconds yeah. and apparently only if you land there at the windmill and right walk right there right just odd it is again. It's it's kind of like Thomas and the Magic Railroad of plot conveniences. So, right. <laughs> well, this is another scene I like because I, you know, one of my favorite episodes, and you know, I I wasn't terribly kind to it when we did um, our reviews of season two, but I really do like Thomas Person the call, and this was a nice callback to that. I felt. Yes, I do think that's a nice element of this um, of the film is that there are callbacks to specific instances and specific episodes um that one and also um you know birdie asking thomas if he wants to go on a race um is nice as well and and much earlier um during the first thomas and james scene in the sheds uh, there was a reference to buzz buzz because there was a creature might not have been a bee uh in fact it was a fly i believe but there was a small insect buzzing around james true So, 
Yeah, I've never heard a kid uh, saying "hiya" after uh, meeting uh, a kid. And what bothers me is that they already <laughs> started talking and they already had a conversation together, like you know, a, right. a brief one. And then he just randomly says "hiya." Hey. Yeah. Very unnatural, very odd acting, and just bad writing. But I, I, you know, I, I'm. Try not to. I try not to be as hard on child actors. Um, I I more blame the directing, really. Um, you know, I'm I'm not saying that Cody McMaines was great in this, obviously, but I think that there might have been some directorial issues with the kids, at least. True. And this is I, I like I like how they adapt uh, or use the I know how the moon must feel theme throughout and this has kind of a you know a bouncy uh guitar kind of folksy thing going on with it it's sort of lily's theme in general Well, yeah i mean because i mean and it's you know you know and it it actually uses a similar it sounds very similar to shining time actually if you kind of slow it down it's actually almost the same theme as shining time Yes, I do love the design of Lady. Um, I have to say, even though it's not really based on any uh, prototype specifically, um, but right. I, I do think it's a nice. Uh, it's nice. I like the stained glass in Shining Time. I think it they've they've certainly gotten some nice little shots with stained glass there. Oh yeah, they've they they've modernized it. They've upgraded it for a uh, a film, but it's definitely still Shining Time Station. It's you know it's still. It looks enough like the TV series. And really, bear in mind, the last time anyone, unless they have a, one of the VHSs, the last time anyone would have seen this was really a good three or three or more likely five years previous because the last episode of Shining Time Station was um, Queen for a Day in 1995. And even though Mr. Conductor's Thomas Tales would use the set of Shining Time Station, that wasn't you know as widely available as shining time station was true and so the last time the last time anyone would have seen this was at at latest 1997 but more likely 1995 and so unless of course as i said they had uh, vhs's of the series but i think they did a really nice job upgrading or updating rather uh the station for for a film set mm-hmm I love this uh, this theme, the Magic Railroad theme. Ooh, um, I I whistle it often, um, but uh, but yeah, this is this is great, and I do like that when he blows on his, um, you know, with, it's. I mean, I like that it's a kazoo. Um, yes, I think that's such. A, it's a it's a nice, fun character quirk. Um, it is. Um. No, I mean the overall concept of a magic railroad that connects Shining Time Station and, uh, or just the town of Shining Time, and uh, you know, and Sodor isn't necessarily a bad idea. No, but no. Um, uh, but the whole fact that the engine contributes the magic to the railroad and all of that—that's kind of right. Uh, underdeveloped and. It not is. it doesn't quite work but um but the idea I, of the the magic railroad in between them is is nice and it's a great title thomas and the magic railroad i mean it's a oh, great yes it's a very nice title it's it's better than what we almost got very true um you know 
and and the thing is, I don't dislike Thomas and the Magic Railroad. I actually kind of like it in a nostalgic way, really, uh, more for nostalgia than anything else. But you know, I I think that it's a film that had a lot of great ideas, but they were just poorly executed or underdeveloped. Mm-hmm. I do love that the he says. Of the I do love the way that he yeah. says. Uh, he says the trains. I told you they talk. Uh, I think yeah. that's just—it's funny that he that he has to explain it to her again. Um, yeah, that uh, that they talk, and it's 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 cute that he's standing above there and he can't hear what they're saying, but they're just you know chitter chattering away as they go about their work. Um, right, and it's funny that Thomas doesn't like Junior. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Again, I think Mike Lee Rogers might be one of the best parts of this film. Oh, absolutely, without a doubt. So. Now, okay, everyone talks about how Junior is, you know, a bit, you know, lazy. And even we mentioned how he's a bit wasteful with his oldest. But he doesn't blow his whistle to get from the ground to Thomas's cab. He actually, you know, climbs up. True. That's it. That's very interesting. That that Mr. Conductor is more lazy, um, in some ways. Yeah, this um, uh, that tiny little uh, cameo, basically by Annie and Clarabelle, was nice. It was. It's it's the only time we'll see them in this movie. Pretty much. So it was it was nice. Yeah, Thomas puffs a, around this movie a lot without anything. So do most of the engines, though. <laughs> true. Um, odd. Mm. I, I really do like this scene uh, between uh, Alec Baldwin and Michael Lee Rogers. Again, both of them are playing it the right way. And so, you know, it's it's... It's really nice, I think. Oh no, I I agree. I like that. I like that Thomas says dither too. Yes. Even though you know we, we hear a lot about how the film was so Americanized, you know, because of course it incorporated Shining Time Station and you know railroad instead of railway. There are some very British things in it, like dither. I don't think I've not I've not heard in my twenty nine years of life very many American people use the term dither. I do love Junior <laughs> talking yes. just atop of hat with a very proper uh, upper crust British accent as opposed to his yeah. Yeah, normal accent. It's very funny. Mm. No, he's not a dog. <laughs> Let's just say he's a puppy in need of a good. It's funny that Saddam Hat isn't in it. So, and, but but Saddam Hat is just this person who's feared throughout the movie, and and is just kind right. of used as this off-screen, uh, you know, comic relief, basically. I mean, or at least their it their reaction kind of go, to him. Anyway, it it does kind of go back to his roots, though, as a bumbling figure of authority, even though he's not very bumbling. True, and that's something that they've it's... certainly adopted much more in the modern series as well. So, um, right, I do love this. I, um. I don't know if it's an intentional reference to the film Oh Mr. Porter, but um right. but it is uh it's a lovely lovely idea. It is. 
And again, it is odd that all of a sudden the windmill picks up speed because that's how windmills work. Um, right. Major gust of wind somewhere. <laughs> mm. And again, Diesel 10, just for some reason, just <laughs> driving around the island, doing right. nothing. Well, I, I understand that he is heading towards the uh, the steel the steel uh, the um, steelworks. Thank you, uh, steelworks. So you know, I mean, but the fact that he's going there light engine is just kind of bizarre to me. Yeah, well, he doesn't he he doesn't play by any rules because he's diesel ten, I guess. Very true. <laughs> Uh, and of course, the good part, the good stuff, the Sodor stuff, is constantly interrupted by this lame Shining Time stuff. Okay, okay. Now, I will say the stuff in the actual Shining Time station was kind of good. Yes, I, I think. But the the stuff are muffled mountains. The see any scene with Burnett, I should say, is right. is uh, pretty weak. Um, right. And Patch only really makes it worse. So. <laughs> I do like, and I like the how voice the pl- acting for Percy as well, especially. And uh, yeah. um, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was. I was going to say I like how the cliff face of Diesel Ten is still there. No, I th- that's a that's a lovely touch. Um, and uh, again, another great, uh, another great uh, part of the score here as well. Right. I do love the the tumbleweeds. Um, around yes. Sodor, and I love later they're like this way to Bufferville. <laughs> it's just funny. It is. And this is now, this is a you know an element of the original plot um, of them hunting down all the buffers. Um, we don't really get right. much of that in the final film, but no. And in fact, this was supposed to incorporate a third, a fourth character into the. Uh railway villain the villain group but uh... see like right there mr conductor and lily are so small compared to thomas but then yes you know, they are a very a just weird scale in this movie and you know if, if it weren't for the fact that lily is about the same size i would i i could almost excuse mr conductor being um you know out of stale by saying, oh, maybe it's his gold dust acting up. But the fact that Lily does it as well, true, it, you know, leads me to believe that it was more just sort of an oversight. Mr. Conductor, the card shark here. <laughs> yes. He's playing Sodor Hold'em. <laughs> he... See, now you've got me See, see, now you've got me thinking of, you know, it's, because <laughs> the Conductor family is so big. I'm sure there's got to be, like, a Kenny Rogers, uh, Mr. Conductor, but he's a gambling conductor. <laughs> and he taught Alec Baldwin how to play cards. Got no one to fold him. No one to hold him. Now, despite the fact that, you know, um, Peter Fonda is trying too hard in the wrong way, 
uh, I actually the 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 thing that redeems the Burnett scenes for me at least is, and we keep going on about this, and I'll probably keep going on about this for the rest of the movie as well, is Hummy Man's score. I really enjoy, especially the theme for, um, you know, when he's when Patch first finds the workshop, and you know Burnett gives a short history of what happened to Lady. I really like that music right there. No, I I I absolutely agree. So I do like that Mr. Conductor has these gold armbands to keep his yes. shirt. Just nice costume touch. And I, I do like that uh, that Thomas is scared as well. I think it's 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 cute, like a little kid, you know, and he and he has to tell him right. that it'll be okay. And I do like the the constant quoting of that shining time uh um and the really useful engine theme throughout is great yes definitely it's it's very good oh and here's here's the bufferville uh the um the tumbleweed that you were referring to earlier yeah it's just a funny you know, I mean, I guess Tumbleweeds talk on Sodor now, but it's kind of fun. Hey, the trains and roadway vehicles talk, so why not the <laughs> Tumbleweeds? And I know this is all CGI, but I really like the look of the Magic Railroad, oh. even if it is, like, you know, dark and, you know, I love it. No, I agree, yeah, and I love, and I love the scene of him going back to get the coal truck. It gives me goosebumps every time. Yes. Oh, yes. And this part of the score is great. Oh, yeah. The Magic Railroad theme itself is great. Ah, that is a good shot, though. Mm-hmm. With uh, coupling up to the truck. I find that an interesting shot as well with Thomas on Muffle Mountain. Yeah, that looks a little goofy. Oh, a little bit. Unfortunately. You know, I think it's just one of those things that, you know, we're so used to seeing Thomas only on Sodor that seeing him anywhere else is just a little odd. Well, mostly just seeing him big is just odd because we think of him as small on Sodor, but he's, he, he just looks so big in, in, and also, the CGI has not really aged terribly well, unfortunately. But um, right. but it is what it is. Which is ironic that Thomas is huge in the real world, and that Mister C is minuscule in the real world. True. So I do like that the sound of the buffers too. Anytime that they go through. Uh, yes. Cool little sound. It is. Man, and they they just love cutting back to these shots of Burnett Stone just moping. Well, yeah. This was the line. This was the line that when I was a kid, I like it just like just burst my bubble when I realized how bad he was in this. When he says, "Oh, Lily, 
I'm so happy I'm so to see. I'm so glad you're safe. Oh, yeah, whatever he says, yeah. But he's yes. just no emotion whatsoever. And, <laughs> but see, now, now this is that thing where Burnett becomes somewhat important to the plot, though. And so it is, it is kind of disappointing to see that, you know, I, I think... I think the thing is, for me, Peter Fonda actually was kind of trying, even if he was trying too hard, which admittedly he was, at least early on he was trying. By this point, he isn't even trying. Yeah, I'm not even sure what he's doing. Now, I don't even know how Patch gets all this coal, because obviously coal is super heavy. How in the world (laughs) is he getting Um, that down to uh, the bottom of the mountain? I know well, he has a horse. To, 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 to break our rule once more about not talking about the early script, um, in the early script, when Patch and Lily were riding the horse earlier, and I mean way earlier, like when they were first going over the shadowy lines, apparently there was some residual gold dust in the shadowy lines from where the railway used to be right. that the horse picked up on its hooves and retained, and it gave the horse magical powers. And so my headcanon, and you know, you can you can debate me on this, you can tell me I'm crazy if you want to, but my headcanon is that the horse now has magical powers and that's how Patch gets all that cold. Very interesting. I mean, hey, it wouldn't be the weirdest thing to happen in this movie. True. I did always like this scene in the smelters. It's great. And I like the design of the smelters as well. I mean, obviously, we first saw the smelters in season five with Stephanie Gets Lost. And it looked so cool to see it with movie-level production values. Oh, true. Absolutely. I do love that he says better late than never. I mean, I know it's just a regular saying. <laughs> but it's nice that it's a, you know, it may be unintentional throwback to a specific episode. So, um, yes. it's nice. It doubles as a reference. And I always love the set that it's it's basically like a ladies' station or a ladies' platform. Uh, right. It's it's a nice little grotto um, for mm-hmm. her, but I just think it's it's nice, it's clever. It and and again, another great line, another great line reading for Alec Baldwin. No, we're out, but we are not down. He's definitely not down in this movie. He is up, up, up. He is. Mr. Up with people. <laughs> and uh, we have the opposite performance. In, uh... <laughs> I do love this music, though, when they're stoking Lily, or Lady. Yes. This is great music. This, you know, this was great. Music, it's exciting. Actually. I always get chills you know, when I lady, do this, too. Seeing Lady come to life and everything, it's so cool. This was one of my favorite parts of the movie. Oh, yeah. and, and, I, I love this scene. I, I will watch this scene over probably most of the other scenes of the movie, honestly, regularly. Um, right. But And I love this, the the, the Shining Time theme again. Uh, just right. right. And the railway coming back to light, the magic railway coming back to light. Mm-hmm. Now, what are your thoughts on Britt Alcroft doing the voice of Lady? You know, um... She wasn't the worst part of the film. Um, 
you know, I, I, some people have, would, would lightly say and have lightly said that, that lady is a self-insertion character from, for Brit Allcroft. And, you know, that's debatable and that's something for a different podcast to discuss, I suppose. Um, I didn't really have a huge problem with it. Um, like I said, she wasn't, I didn't think she was terrible. I don't really have much of an opinion on it at all, to be honest. Uh, what was yours? Yeah. I mean, it's fine. I always thought it was odd when I was a kid. Um, just the right. voice was just so old sounding, uh, compared to the other characters, yes. which have a much more childlike, um, sound to them. So, uh, but it's okay. Um, and I remember right. as a kid, I think, uh, my mom or my dad told me that that was that that was you know the creator. It was Brett Alcroft and everything. But um, and I only knew Brett Alcroft because of the name, just seeing it on all the right. stuff. So I, I didn't know what she looked like, of course, till I was a toddler. So um, right. I do love the strings here. It's just so pretty. Yes. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, Lady's a, a nice character. I mean, I don't obsess over her in the way that many no. other people in our fandom seem to. Um, <laughs> I've never really gotten the huge appeal necessarily, but she's a nice character. Yeah. I do like, and this this could be seen as a reference. It it may be an unintentional reference, maybe not. I do like how Lily carries around that little stuffed bluebird uh, because it could technically be an unintentional uh, reference to the Shining Time Station opening. Uh, from season two onward, there is a bluebird in the corner of some of the scenes in the opening credits. And in fact, I think on the sign as well in the season two and beyond opening credits. Yeah, it's true. I wonder, I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if that was included as, you know, a little nod or maybe not completely conscious, just a right. Bird Alcroft might like bluebirds. <laughs> she might. I do like, I do like this. Um, it is odd though, that lady just sitting there not saying anything while they're just right. pointing at her and talking about her like she's a museum piece. Um, Lady has very few lines of dialogue for how important she is to the script and the overall story. She has very few lines of dialogue. But you can't help but smile. Even if you hate this movie, you can't help but smile at how excited they are to see this engine. Um, right. Of course, now they have to bring it back down. <laughs> of course. The Captain Buzzkill here. <laughs> the, the one time that, you know... We, the one time we have an Alec Baldwin scene, and it's actually quite sad. It is, and I do like this. You, me, you know, kaput right. thing is. It's sad. It's and he, and he looks so crestfallen. I know because I mean, I mean, it's like implying that they'll die. <laughs> you know, right? If they don't have their gold dust, it's very sad. Right. Somehow Thomas was very far behind, even though he was. He was. <laughs> and here comes the exciting part of the film. Absolutely. Ladder and Dodge just decide to stop working for Diesel 10 for reasons. Uh, and they're never seen again. <laughs> no. That happens a lot to characters in this film. Yes, it does. <laughs> you know, chase scene and all. I like chase scenes in movies. I like this chase scene, but really, why are they, you know, it just doesn't really. There probably could have been a better way to resolve it than just chasing across the island. You know, yeah, I could guess, have gone back to the magic road. They could have. And that I would do have like been... the scream with 
that. Then, but... yeah. That would have been interesting. They were clearly having a lot of fun there. Yes. Now, supposedly in one of these shots, you can see uh, P.T. Boomer on uh, the top of Diesel 10, but I've watched it I don't know how many times, and I haven't noticed Yeah, it. it's a shot when he's about to go under one of the bridges or the tunnel or something, and and uh, you can oh, okay. you can see him laying down, I guess, on the top. Oh. It's coming up. I do like, we never commented on it, but I do like the watermill set that they oh, there for the movie. Oh, the watermill set is beautifully uh, up, updated. Yeah, absolutely. You know? I, I, I just really like that. And something that always makes me laugh, though, in this scene here uh, shortly, um, when we're about to we're about to get to it here, is uh, yeah, when it, Diesel is uh, chasing Thomas and Lady over the bridge, but then there's just work going on underneath. You know, the engines are just going right. about their day. And that's what's so funny right. about this is that the rest of the movie, you know, Thomas is interacting with the engines and they're talking about Lady. And then all of a sudden we never see any of the other engines again, including Percy, who is a major part of this movie. Um, and right. then we just see, uh, you know, uh, they're just going about their day in the middle of the of a busy work day while Thomas is just cavorting about the Magic Railroad. And, you know, it's yeah. just funny. And, and then, you know, none of them seem to react to this new engine that they likely have never seen. <laughs> well, and also that it was nighttime when they left Sodor to go to the Magic Railroad, and then all of a sudden right. Thomas was there all day, and now it's the next day. Odd. Right. Hey, there's some actual acting from Peter Fonda. Yeah, he smiled. <laughs> yes. I did like this as well. You know, I, I Diesel 10, fall, yeah. Final Comeuppance. What's interesting is that in one of the books, the, I think the hardcover book, um, what he falls in looks like orange jello. Which is, <laughs> yeah, I remember It does that. not look yeah. like mud or sludge or whatever this is supposed to be. Um, I, I, I had both of those books. As, I, I had all three books that you mentioned earlier as well, and I remember that. It's just odd that it looked like orange jello. Yes. So there's a lot of scenes in this movie of adults standing around with their like their head in their hands just contemplating <laughs> life death and yeah it's it's very ex- <laughs> it's a very existential movie <laughs> it's for for a for a film based around two children's preschool series well technically one but by extension two uh it is very existential, isn't it? I do like this, though. The, you know, whatever that's supposed to be, these magic flakes. Um, the shavings. Yeah, sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, that's okay. But you're throwing them up in the air with the, the water. It's nice. There was supposed to be a reference to panning for gold somewhere in here, I think, but it got left out, obviously. I don't know why she's hesitating. Dramatic effects? It never makes any sense to me why she hesitates. And that's a nice shot of the. <laughs> it is. Peter Fonda. Peter Fonda saying gold dust is just classic. Now, I have to wonder how many times, especially in the last, well, throughout the movie, it's, it, really, but in the last t- five, ten minutes of this film, how many times does gold dust uh, <laughs> said? A lot. Yes. 
And as I mentioned back when we did, I, I want to say it was Mr. Tanatsu's 4th of July, but it might have been earlier than that. I'm glad they changed it to Gold Dust rather than Magic Sparkle or Magic Sparkle Dust, as they have referenced it a few times within Shining the Time Station proper. True. Because Gold Dust, okay, great. But having Alec Baldwin and Michael E. Rogers talk about their Magic Sparkle Dust for an entire hour and a half movie yeah that would have sounded a little goofy a little bit and I do like this resolution as well how Junior decides that he's ready to take on a bit more responsibility become part of the conductor family again true So you have to wonder, what is Mr. Conductor doing then? <laughs> right. If he's giving that to Junior. And I, I, well, he's not, I do love that he wears it my, on his side. My, my understanding was that Mr. Conductor still goes between Sodor and Shining Time, but that he's giving Junior a different assignment. That was my, that, that's always been my takeaway from it. Setting up for a sequel. Well, there was supposed to be a sequel. In fact, they greenlit a sequel before the movie was even finished. And I bet they when did, it was a... and then they yanked no, they that out of the way. <laughs> oh, no. no I, I did some reading on it, and there actually was going to be a sequel and a potential spinoff. And, you know, they they had even, Destination had even greenlit a sequel, and it was going to start pre-production, and the movie flopped fantastically. And then Destination was like, uh... You know that sequel we ordered you? Yeah, that's not going to happen. It is interesting that he pours the gold dust on it, and then, like, how is it magical now? It doesn't become a real bluebird. It, you know, like... It, it, it is magical because it has gold dust. I guess. I mean, that would have actually been a nice touch, I think, if it had, like, you know, turned into a bird and then flown away. Yeah, that would have been nice. And here's, of course, it's supposed to be Adult Patch and Adult Lily down right. at the bottom there. Um Yes. But uh but it isn't. Um it's just two residents of Shining. This is such a weird juxtaposition of the American steam locomotive, the American outfits, right. American baseball playing on the Isle of Man, and clearly the Isle of Man. I mean you could tell it's not yes. America. Um it's right. just very odd. Uh, oh we did see Stacy for like a split second. There we go. But no more dialogue. No more dialogue, of course. Except for Mr. Conductor's narration. Right. I mean, yeah, no more no more Stacy dialogue is what I meant, Right. But... Well and, and and in fact, you know, in the last scene, Mr. Conductor is the only one that has any dialogue. Um so you know, um so Thomas and the Magic Railroad. It's a movie. It's a movie. Um I I will say, um for as much flack as we gave it, and we have just spent the last hour and a half um, ripping, ripping this movie. Um, I, I do actually like this movie, though, to a point. I, I think that, you know, it's not a great movie, but I, I certainly enjoyed it a lot as a kid. Um, I don't have as much enjoyment for, uh, as, as I used to, but there's still sort of a nostalgic enjoyment to it. And even if the message isn't necessarily 
put across fantastically, it's got some heart to it, you know? I mean, again, not necessarily always put across in the best way possible, but there's some heart. No, I, I do. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Um, and, uh, you know, something I never noticed is that um, on the credits, uh, Junior Campbell is credited J.N.R. Campbell. That is interesting. I've never noticed that. I either. just noticed that. That's interesting. Um, I guess I, I probably never really paid that much attention to the credits. So, um, I mean, and, and to be a full disclosure, to be perfectly honest, I haven't watched this all the way through in quite some time. So, um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, definitely. Uh, that was uh, entertaining, uh, possibly unfairly maligned, I think a little bit. Um, it, it possibly, yeah. but again, I could see why. Um, people may have felt gypped taking their kids to go see this movie when they expected a Thomas film. And instead they got a film about a bunch of uh, whining adults uh, trying to figure out their, their life problems. Um, With a few glimpses of talking. Exactly. So, and I, I do understand. And and as I'm sure there were many kids who were probably bored um, trying to watch this. uh, um, But you know, the movie was not successful on, unfortunately. Um, And you know, uh, this was season four was certainly the end of a certain era of Thomas for sure. Um, season right. five was the beginning of a new era. And I feel like it could have continued more in a, in that kind of direction had this been successful. Um, but yes. then because this was not, um, we got season six and then of course, I mean, that was, this was really the beginning of the end, at least in my opinion of, um, of right. what was once a great series. Um, and then it became a good series. Um, and then in some cases, a not so good series. Um, <laughs> yes. but, um, it is nice that John Bella still gets a credit in the film as transportation coordinator. Um, of yes. course, because he was going to voice Thomas. Yes. Yes. Of course he was the original voice of Thomas, um, at one point. Um, and, um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, the as we said earlier, best aspects of this film, the score, one hundred percent is yep. the best element, followed by the voice acting um, and the production mm-hmm. design. Um, I think it was yes. Oleg Savitsky did um, the production design of the film um, and did a phenomenal yep. job. Um, and just the, the model work on this film was great. Um, and uh, unfortunate that the series couldn't look like this, but it makes it this special um, that really yes. nothing else in the Thomas world looks like this. Um, so it's yeah. a, it's it's it should be cherished for that, but um, but should. for other aspects, um, quite fairly um, ridiculed um, <laughs> for, right. for some of it. And of course, I, Audrey I, would have been just absolutely rolling in his grave at this point. Yeah, he wouldn't have liked it. He wouldn't have liked it. And I, it's it's like I said earlier, Thomas and the Magic Railroad to me is it is a bunch of good ideas. And a few not so good ideas executed either poorly or not well, you know, either either very poorly or not executed at all. No, absolutely, I one hundred percent agree. Um, but because uh... you know, there are some great ideas, you know, I mean, the idea of having Mister Conductor, seeing Mister Conductor interact, because you know, we've all, you know, we've heard Mister Con- us in America at least have heard so many stories. Mr. Conductor telling us so many stories about Thomas and his friends. So to see that interaction was fantastic. Uh, you know, to see Shining Time Station on a big screen for at least American audiences. I know UK audiences could have cared less because they, um, 
you know, up and I think this is for most people at the time, this was their first introduction to Shining Time Station because it didn't air over there, you know, but for us in America, it was great to see Shining Time Station on the big screen, um, you know, and you know, and again, as you said, the idea of an actual magic railroad is not a bad one at all. In fact, it's, you know, a fascinating concept. The execution left something to be desired. But, you know, I, I, I think, you know, as many faults as we find with it, you know, there's a lot to like about it as well. And so, Absolutely. And just, I mean, and just looking through this whole, um, you know, this entire um, credit sequence here, you can see how many people right. worked on this, how many people devoted a, you know, a couple of years um, to oh, work yes. on this film. So, you know, it's, I don't think it's right to necessarily ridicule it, but, but at the same time, no. um, it's definitely a flawed film, film oh. by any stretch of the imagination. But not necessarily an awful one either. Um, and as Thomas no. fans, we we can get something out of it that's um, yes, yeah, that's enjoyable. So that was Thomas and the Magic exactly. Railroad. That was Thomas and the Magic Railroad. Um, there, there's a there is one comment I wanted to make, and I was going to make it um, towards the beginning when this uh, when this came up within the film. But I, you know, we were talking about other stuff, which is fine, totally. Um, the only disappoint, the only other disappointment then that I can find with it is I, I almost would have preferred Shining Time. The song isn't bad necessarily, uh, but I almost would have preferred if they'd used a variation of the Shining Time Station theme because there's a version out there that Kevin Roth put out on CD. It's a slowed down version. And it actually sounds not entirely similar, but a little similar to the song Shining Time. And I feel that, you know, the more slowed down melodic version of the Shining Time Station theme might have been a nicer choice. But, you know, it's obviously not what they went with. And, you know, I don't think, as I said, I don't think Shining Time is a bad song per se. It's just not my favorite true yeah absolutely um and uh yeah i mean not definitely not my favorite um thing in the thomas you know overall thomas world at all not my uh probably i mean definitely my least favorite pre-season seven thomas uh related piece of media um i would say um but um but not but not bad it's just different it's not canon in any way, um, it's not. No. Uh, I, I wouldn't consider it such um, with Shining Time Station or with um, Thomas. Um, but of course, right. Shining, Shining Time Station itself really isn't isn't canon at all either. So, um, I was what 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 is canon? Yeah. <laughs> um, but um, at least in regards I, to Shining Time Station, what is I don't canon? obsess over this film. Many people do. No, um, I don't really no. understand why. But um, but it's. Uh, you know, it, it's not, it's not bad. I think we've, uh, we've definitely, uh, we've talked about it enough. Um, so that yes. was, uh, Thomas and the Magic Railroad. Thanks for listening. Um, yes. and, uh, happy 20th anniversary to Thomas and the Magic Railroad. And it's great to see so many people celebrating it for, um, whether you like it, you hate it, um, or, um, you're indifferent. It's nice to see people are, are talking about it still. So that's great. It, it um, is. there, there have been some really, wonderful celebrations uh especially 
especially within the last month or so, there have been some really fun celebrations to watch through. I've watched, uh, well, certainly there's one specific one that I'm sure some people will uh, will know what I'm talking about. There's one that has gained quite a bit of popularity over the last uh, couple of weeks. That was It was so well done, and you can tell that the people who are celebrating it do truly love it. And a lot of these celebrations are definite labors of love, as as was this movie. I, I know that Britt Allcroft has mentioned that she's disappointed with how the final film turned out, um, that a lot of the ideas that she had were overruled and such as that. But you can still tell that this was a labor of love for her. This was her magnum opus. And it's it, it's sad in a way that she didn't get to celebrate her uh, her magnum opus in the way that she would have liked to. Hopefully one day she will. I don't know. Maybe not. Um, one can always dream, though. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, keep, keep on listening to us. Um, and uh, we'll have lots more things on the way. Um, uh, we'll yes. have some more Shiny Temptation commentaries coming your way throughout August. Um, some more Thomas. We're going to dive into season three here pretty soon. Um, and mm. we might be talking about tugs as well um, coming up soon too. So, um, and of course, more railway series. Absolutely, more railway series. We've uh, we've started those up, and um, and uh, and we we really enjoy talking about them. So, yeah. uh, follow us on Twitter at Talking Thomas, um, and uh, also on Facebook Talking Thomas Pod. Um, and you yep. can also listen to us on Anchor, our home. Um, most people listen to us on Apple Podcasts. You can also listen to us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, many other platforms. And uh, thanks for listening. Yes, thank you so much. And I just want to say one last time, uh, happy 20th anniversary to Thomas and the Magic Railroad. And uh, thank you all for, so much for listening. And now it's time for all of us to go home, just like Thomas.